Hello, humans. I am your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business. Uh, I talk with sales and HR experts, other small business owners, and anyone else that can provide you with information to clear your way to success. Uh, my guest today is Amy Pelkey, founder of Pause to Remember. Uh, Amy grew up in South Portland, Maine, and graduated from the University of Southern Maine uh, with a nursing degree. She later attended graduate school at the University of Pittsburgh, where she was first introduced to yoga. Um, uh, she has nearly 20 years of experience as a CRNA. Uh, in 2017, she became a certified yoga instructor, began teaching yoga as an independent contractor, and started Pause to Remember. Uh, in 2018, she opened Bridge Anesthesia, Anesthesia uh, where they developed an IV ketamine infusion service for patients suffering from treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, PTSD, and OCD. Uh, in 2020, Amy shifted Pause to Remember to an online platform. Um, Pause to Remember supports female licensed healthcare providers grieving after pregnancy or infant loss. Um, she offers virtual support groups, an ebook, and a podcast. All of those things will be linked down below. Uh, Amy, thanks for being a guest on Clearing the Way. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, okay. So, grew up in Portland. Mm -hmm. Let's kind of start there, and then we will work through all of this as we always do. Um, grew up in Portland. What kind of what kind of activities were you involved in as a student? What what were you into? What were you into as a kid? Um, I was into trying lots of different things. Um, I was really into swimming um, up until uh, through my freshman year of high school and I hurt my shoulders really badly and okay. had to get off the swim team. And um, that just opened the door for a lot more music. So I, I played clarinet, alto saxophone and oboe. And I oh. got involved with every musical group you could possibly imagine from jazz band to um, the Portland uh, Youth Wind Ensemble and whatnot. Um, and I went to States on oboe and stuff and even played oboe in college some. So um, music kind of was a big thing for me um, in high school and into college. Okay. So. Okay. That's yeah. kind of cool. Um, okay. Got injured. What was, how into sports were you before? Like, I know for me, I had a, I mean, I just had a couple concussions, but every time I had to miss anything was like the end of the world. Oh, yeah. Was it? Losing swimming was the end of the world for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's one of the only times my father said, no, you cannot go back to swimming. The doctors are telling you you need surgery or you need to stop. And he's like, you're not having surgery. You're going to have some physical therapy and you're going to do something else. And I said, okay. So, did you play instruments before that? Yeah, I did. I okay, started okay. when I was, I don't know, like seven or eight years old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, at least you already had like a framework for that. Yeah. I mean, I, my father was very musically inclined and, um, he fixes woodwind instruments and brass instruments and worked for a music store. And so, okay. I mean, from a young girl, I mean, I, I was probably like five or six years old and my dad was taking me to like marching band competitions and stuff. So like, okay. I grew up around music. Uh, yeah. My dad plays a lot of wind instruments. Um, and so, and to this day, I mean, he's retired, but he's still fixing 
um, instruments yeah. you know, all the time. Yeah. So if okay. anybody's listening to this in the Portland, Maine area, Joe <laughs> Betancourt is your go-to guy for <laughs> getting your instruments repaired. Um, but yeah, so music was a big part of my life. Um, I think it was a big outlet for me, um, just because my parents had, um, divorced and remarried. And that was, you know, like when you're a kid, it's just tough when your family dissolves and a new family is formed. And so music definitely became an outlet for me. Okay. And from there, I just kind of branched out, went off to school and, um, Pretty much. I mean, I went home, I think, the first couple of summers after college. But after that, I I was a, a very independent and, um, I, I don't know, free-spirited, I guess, to a certain degree. Okay. Like, I quickly learned that I love to travel, and I met some of the international um, students that came to my school. And so, you know, I became friends with them. And so then I was going to England, and you mentioned okay. Scotland, uh-huh. you know, when I was in college. And then okay. I... I um, kind of decided on nursing after changing my major probably 20 times. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so. Okay. So what kind of student in high school, what kind of student were you? Oh, I was, you know, very um, motivated. Okay. And I took AP classes and stuff. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. So out of school, what did you, what did you think you were, well, what did you originally go to college for? Oh, I had no idea. I okay. just, I mean, I went to Roanoke College my first year of school um, in Virginia um, just because they gave me a lot of scholarship money and it was the same amount to go there as it was in state tuition. And I thought I might want to be like a business major or a Spanish major. And then I changed it to biology. And like, I, I mean, I, I think went through pretty much every major that they offered. Okay. And, <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay. and then, you know, like halfway through my freshman year, I was like, if I go and become a nurse and get my bachelor's degree in nursing, that is like the perfect platform to jump from no matter what I want to do, because I have a bachelor's of science degree. Like if I wanted to, you know, go on a medical school or become, you know, a therapist or something, I have that foundation in yeah. which to step to the next okay. level. Okay. So what, Okay. And, so about, and I could get a job. <laughs> that is helpful. Because I had to be independent. I didn't have any financial um, support from my family after college, and mm-hmm. I had limited financial support. So, I mean, I had to – I was coming out of college with debt, and I had to be able to pay off my debt. So yeah. I needed a job yeah. that I could pay off my debt and live independently. So before you decided on nursing, had that been a consideration at all before? Like no, because when you were bouncing between – Majors like no, because okay, so business. my mom was a nurse, and I said I would never be a nurse. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Um, okay, so you need a job, you need a way to something that is a good platform, I guess. Yeah, I guess nursing fits that, and you already had somewhat of a framework if your if your mother was a was a nurse. Yeah. Um. So it wasn't like foreign to you. Did um did the subjects involved there? Were you were you kind of just a a good student across the board, or was yeah. there anything okay anything in particular that was interesting to you? No, I just kind of like everything. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, okay. So off to school, you bounce around to a bunch of majors. Totally normal, I I think. I, at least I like to tell myself that. I mean, I think it's hard to know what you want to do when you're 18 years old. Yeah, I, I still don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so you bounce around, you finally decide nursing's the thing. Um, what was, I guess, the at that point, the 
the path from school becomes way more like there's way less options, right? As a nurse, like it's not like there's a bunch of different things you can do. Like you're kind of a nurse, right? Oh, I would disagree with you. Okay, well, I know nothing. So, I, okay, I, so I think what did you think you were going to do from when you graduated? Well, I just knew that I was not going to be the same kind of nurse as my mom. She worked on a med surge floor and primarily took care of orthopedic patients. Okay. And I said, there's no way I can do that. I need something more. And so my first, before I even graduated nursing school, I went and became a certified nursing assistant, a CNA. Okay. And I had the opportunity to get like an externship at the local level one trauma center in Portland um, in their ICU. And I was like, oh, I'll try this out. And I became a nursing assistant in this ICU and I loved it. And the nurses and the um, doctors in that ICU would grab me anytime there was something interesting. Hey, we're going to put a chest tube. You want to, you know, put a chest tube in a patient. You want to come see this? Yes, I do. Hey, we're going to do <laughs> an endoscopy. You want to see it? Yes, I do. I didn't care. The answer was always yes. And it was so fascinating to me. And it was a much faster pace and it required a lot of critical thinking. And I just, I was surrounded by some of the most intelligent, kind people. And that huh. was my first experience as a nursing assistant. Now, part of it was not so glamorous. I was stalking and turning patients and cleaning them up. And, you know, there's a lot of not so glamorous yeah. things about it, but that environment and and that first job, I was like, this is cool. So then I was like, I'm going to be an ICU nurse. And so then from there, I knew right out of school, I wanted to be a critical care nurse. But in the 90s, when I graduated, it was really difficult to get an ICU job. Okay. So I'm all about resources and figuring out like who you know, and like what you can figure out. And one of my mom's good friends had moved to Charleston, South Carolina to get her master's degree. And um, she'd gone through the VA system to get her master's degree. So she owed them time. So she was, she had worked for the VA mm -hmm. while she got her master's. And then she had um, gone over to their um, large academic center there and was a nurse manager there. And she said, well, we have an externship. She was talking to my mom. We have an externship. Would Amy be interested? And so I applied and I was one of the um, students student nurses who got the externship. So I went down to Charleston, South Carolina. I lived with her for a month. I worked three, four, twelves a week. And I had um, a couple nurse mentors who were amazing. They just like embraced me, huh. like just drew me right in. I felt like I was part of the group and I loved this job. And it was a step down unit, but it was considered critical care because they took patients that were on ventilators, had um, infusion, like vasoactive infusion drugs going. So it was like an ICU. The only difference was um, if somebody was on a ventilator, they had to have a tracheostomy instead of having the breathing tube in their mouth. And so... As I graduated, I was like, I want to go work there. So I applied and I got the one job that was available based on my performance as a student in the externship. So I graduated and went to Charleston, South Carolina, not knowing a soul. And let me know, tell you, I was a fish out of water coming from Portland, Maine to Charleston, South Carolina. But I made it work and I learned a lot and it was great. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you mentioned you definitely didn't want what like a similar role to what your mom had mm -hmm. what was it about that that you that wasn't interesting to you um i just felt like the i wanted a patient 
or a couple of patients that were really complex and very demanding. Okay. And um, hers was more about time management. I mean, she would have like five, six, seven patients. Whereas in the okay. ICU, you have one or two because they're so mm-hmm. ill that they require much more intensive care. That makes sense. Yeah. So I just really enjoyed that environment, the fast pace, not knowing what was coming through the door. Um I just really enjoyed it. And I felt like I thrived in that environment and I was intellectually very stimulated. I felt like I was, I felt like it was very empathetic to the patients Mm -hmm. and I really cared about what I was doing. So it just felt like a good fit. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So you're down in, um, in Virginia. Uh, Is that right? Virginia. Virginia. Just for a year. And then I went back to University of Southern Maine finished my nursing degree because the school I was originally at didn't have a nursing program. So I went back to Portland, Maine, to the University of Southern Maine, graduated from nursing school and moved to Charleston, South Carolina. Carolina. That's what it was, South Carolina. Okay. Um, Okay. So you're down in South Carolina. How long were you, how long were you there? Just uh, almost three years. Okay. Okay. Um, And when you're, when you're there, was there anything like, okay, so eventually you move on from there. Was that environment, was it the same when you went down there for a job as it was when you were there as a student? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah, it was amazing. Okay, that's that's helpful. I wonder if, so was, maybe, maybe not, maybe we don't want to talk about it, but is, do you think you, you were in that situation because of your, like, Okay, so as a new person and as a student coming mm-hmm. out of school, I feel like a lot of times as that new person, you're not shunned, but just not like included as much. But it seems like you were always super interested in just being involved in everything, mm-hmm. which probably helped you a lot. Like you're just new and enthusiastic. So it's like, yeah, like let's include you in as much as possible because you're a nice new person to help. Um, so that's great. How, what ended up causing you to move or leave or what was, what was next? Um, so I had moved from the original unit that I had, um, externed on because my nurse manager moved. So I followed her to the ICU and I was working in the, um, neurotrauma ICU, surgical ICU. And, um, Things started changing just with staffing and whatnot, and I was getting flip-flop days and nights within the same week. So I might work like Friday night, get off Tuesday morning, and have to be back Wednesday morning for daylight. And (laughs) my body just couldn't handle it. Like I was like losing my mind because I was so Mm sleep-deprived. And I kept saying like, I just can't do this. And it was just sometimes things – just shift. And there are periods that you just recognize that this is not the right fit anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, and then my boyfriend and I, um, who were very serious, broke up. And so I was just like, okay, so now we've broken up. This job isn't working. And a couple of my friends and I had started talking about travel nursing. And um, back at the end of like 1999, 2000, more and more people were start starting to explore travel mm-hmm. nursing. And by the time I started doing it, 
um, basically, I felt like I could throw a dart at a map and be like, I want to go there and tell my recruiter, I want to go to Massachusetts or I want to go to Denver or, you know, wherever. So a couple of my really good friends from Charleston and I took off and started um, traveling in they did assignment before me, and then I met them um, outside of Boston in September of 2000. So I, I started as a traveler, and I traveled for two years. I went Boston, Denver, Seattle, suburb of San Francisco, <laughs> back to Denver to ski again. I spent two winters. I planned my winters for Denver so uh -huh. I could ski. Okay. I would try to work as many weekends as I could so I could be up on the mountains during the week. So <laughs> Okay. I didn't have to deal with like traffic yeah. and people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good plan. Um, and I was working three twelves, so you know, left four days a week to ski. <laughs> so, that sounds nice. Yeah, and so there were a ton of travel nurses out in Denver when we got hmm. there, and the apartment complex that our company was housing us at was brand new, and the majority of the people who lived there were travel nurses. So you like go to the mailbox, and somebody else would be getting their mail, and you'd be like, "Hey, are you a travel nurse?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, are you?" Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from Minnesota. Oh, I'm from Maine. You're like, you know. That's like, cool. And so I met all these really cool people from all over the country. And then a whole group of us from Denver went up to Seattle. And then we kind of disbanded for the fall. <laughs> and then we all mapped back up again in Denver for another year. <laughs> That's cool. But yeah. But I was about a year into traveling and I was like, this is cool and this is really fun. But I cannot be an ICU nurse for the rest of my life. Like this physically, emotionally, mentally, I can't see myself retiring doing this. And so I started looking for other options. And I had remembered um, being in the operating room in nursing school. And the coolest job in the operating room was the guy at the head of the bed and he was a CRNA and I had talked to him just for a short amount of time and I was so impressed by like what he had to say and um, how he managed everything and I was like that's a cool job and I never stopped thinking about him and my experience with him and so I started looking at what the prerequisites would be to go back to graduate school mm -hmm. to get my anesthesia training and um, at this time I was living in Walnut Creek, California. And I literally had my laptop <laughs> open and I went state by state by state through every program. I figured out which ones I already had um, the, the prerequisites for, and I just started applying. And so I applied, I did applications for six full, six full applications. I sent out five of them. Georgetown, I didn't end up sending. I don't remember why I didn't send it, but um, I got interviews at four of them. And by the third interview, which was University of Pittsburgh, um, I was like, this is it. And I'd never been to Pittsburgh before. <laughs> okay. Like my first time okay. to Pittsburgh was for my interview for uh -huh. anesthesia school. And I was like, this is this is the program. But I had a scholarship opportunity at Northeastern in Boston, and they gave me a week to give them an answer because I said, well, I'm going to Pittsburgh next week. I really want to go to that interview before I give you an answer because I loved everything that I had, you know, interacted, the people I had interacted with at Pittsburgh, and they're like, okay, you got to let us know, you know, after your interview. Mm -hmm. And I remember I said to the program director, I said, you know, I have this scholarship opportunity at Northeastern. And I said, I got to let them know by Monday. This was on Friday. Uh -huh. I had to let them know by like Monday or Tuesday, you know, if I'm taking the scholarship or not. And I said, and 
you said in the you know interview process and and um, whatnot that it would be a while before I heard. I'm like, if there's any way you could let me know, I really want to come mm-hmm. here. Like this is this just feels like the right fit. He's like, he was very nonchalant about it. He's uh-huh. like, okay, well we'll see. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got on the plane that that evening in Pittsburgh and my cell phone rang and it was the program director. We want to extend you an invitation to come to the program. I was like, yes. I'm like, <laughs> I accept. And so I called Northeastern, you know, the beginning of next uh-huh. week and let them know that I was going to Pitt instead. And so I finished out my assignment in Denver and actually left that sooner than I had planned. And I got a travel assignment at Allegheny General. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Which was great. Um and moved here and I lived in like an extended stay America for 30 days while I bought a condo. My dad's like, there's no way you can get into a condo in 30 days. I was like, sure, dad, I can do it. <laughs> 30 days later, I was closing on the condo and moving in out of the hotel. <laughs> and I I don't know, I've just kind of been like that. I'm like, we'll just figure it out. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So uh, what was it just all of the interactions with everybody, like through your process that really drew you to, to Pittsburgh? Yeah. Like, I mean, the organization of the program, the, the interview process was amazing because not only did I get to meet the faculty, I got to meet some of the students mm, in the program. And that's helpful. it was just such a warm family feeling, but they had very, very high expectations and they were very clear about what the expectations were. So I felt like I was going to come out of that program with the skills that I needed to provide the care that was going to be required of me. And I wanted to be a good provider. Like, Uh I I mean, everything I've ever done, I've always wanted to do to the best of my ability. And I just felt like they were going to be the right fit for me to have the skill set that I needed when I got out of school. Okay. Um, okay, so before let's rewind a little bit. So, what was there anything that like? So you were de- obviously enjoying being an ICU nurse. Was there anything about that that initially like pushed you over the edge of like I got to get out of this, or was it just kind of the continual like buildup of of all of the stresses that went with that? Because it seemed like that was initially the thing that was super interesting to you, super into it, like. Yeah. What what led to the the change from there or the the seeking outside or for something else? Yeah. I mean, I just uh, my hat is off to every nurse out there who might be listening to this. It is such a hard job. It is physically a hard job. It's emotionally a difficult job. And with COVID, it's even harder. Mm -hmm. And now with the staffing shortages, it's just compounded it. And, you know, at the time I was a travel nurse, I was a travel nurse because there were staffing shortages. And whenever there's staffing shortages, it always makes for a more stressful situation because you kind of feel like you're in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Like just do we have enough people to cover the beds? You know, are you getting double double patients instead of a single patient when this one really should have one-to-one nursing? You know, stuff like that. You just get to a point where you're just like, okay, you know, can I see myself doing this forever? And I I just didn't see myself – like I, I liked – I got to the point where I liked it. I had lost the love for it. And I just felt like, and I had always told myself, because I can remember a few nurses early on when I was a nursing assistant who were really bitter. And I I didn't ever want to become a bitter nurse. What patient wants to be cared for by a bitter nurse? 
And at the end of the day, you only have responsibility for yourself. You can't control anybody else. Mm -hmm. So I had promised myself that before I started nursing, if I ever got to the point where I felt like I was not the best version of myself, I was going to figure out a plan B. And I had gotten to that point. I just felt like hmm. I was getting really frustrated with the system and that I needed I needed a new challenge. I needed something to kind of reawakening yeah. me and like yeah. challenge me intellectually, I guess, and and um, just be different. And so, and that gentleman that I shadowed many, many years ago, you know, he just, he was just an amazing CRNA and he just had let, and I was just like, that's, that just feels like the right fit. And so I what just, about, what about that? Like, what about your experience with him or just observing him? What was it that like, that drew you to it? He had autonomy. Whereas in an ICU nurse, you know, you get orders from the doctor, you have less autonomy. It's very, every hour you got to go get your vital signs, mm -hmm. do your eyes and nose, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's just, um, you just have more, more ability to practice. Um, you're still in a care team, but you have more autonomy in the, in the operating room. And I just really liked that level of the idea of having that level of responsibility and not only working in a team, but also having more control over the care that I was offering. Okay. Okay. Did you ever, um, I guess when you were thinking about that change, did you ever reach out to that that person? I didn't. Okay. No, I didn't. Okay. It, it was many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if he was still practicing. Um, cause I think he was getting closer to his retirement at the time that I met him. Okay. So no, I never reached out to him. Okay. So, um, you start at Pitt. Um, how was, how long is that? Program. So it was 28 months year okay. round. Like when the school is on break, you're in the OR 40 hours or more a week. Okay. So you don't get spring break. You don't get uh -huh. summer break. We got five days off a year and a couple of sick days. And so if you okay. wanted a day off, you had to use one of your days yeah. off. So, um, yeah, pretty intensive. Now, um, now all the, um, Masters of Science programs in nursing are going to um, a clinical doctorate. So the program is now three years. Okay. But I've been grandfathered in. Um, they don't make you like when they change the rules, they don't make you go back. And, yeah. You know. Okay. Okay. So you, um, you're done there. Well, through that time, how did the expectation live up to the experience that you had there? Oh, it surpassed it. Uh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. So you made the right choice. Yes. Um, no question about it. Okay. So that's cool. Um, from there, where do you, where do you go? Like, what is the path from you graduate there and then just right into that, into a role with that? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you take boards, mm -hmm. you have to pass boards yeah. and then you be, you go from student nurse anesthetist to certified registered nurse anesthetist. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay, so at that point, you just start working. You yeah, start I worked at one of the Pittsburgh okay. hospitals. I was trying to get back to Denver, and it was really hard to get a job out there at the time. So I stayed in Pittsburgh, started dating my husband, um, who I actually graduated with, but we didn't start dating until the end of the program. And uh, I was like, he's pretty cool. And so <laughs> when, when the Colorado job called me, you know, and said, oh, we now have a full-time position, because I'd gone out and interviewed and everything, and... It, long story short, 
it was at the point where I'm like, I've already started another job. You know, I'm about to take boards because the first job let me work as a graduate um, nurse anesthetist. And basically I was doing the same exact thing that I had been doing as a student nurse anesthetist, but Uh I just had graduated, you know, and um, I was, I'm like, I'm about to take my boards. You know, I've started dating this cool guy, you know, (laughs) I didn't tell him that, but I mean, that's what was going through my head. And um, I mean, I had known him obviously for two and a half years, um, but yeah, so I stayed and um, the Pittsburgh job was a really great experience. I spent a lot of my training at that hospital. Um, so I knew a lot of the staff and whatnot. And um, there was just a really talented group of CRNAs and anesthesiologists that I learned so much from. And like, to this day, I'm just incredibly grateful for that experience, but it just didn't feel like the right fit. Okay. And, and an opportunity opened up um, where some of my classmates had moved to. It's Saginaw, Michigan. It's kind of like here. Mm. <laughs> and um, let's see. Three of my classmates had already gone up there, and a few um, pit grads from a couple of years prior had gone up there. It was like a little okay. Steeler Nation up yeah, in the OR cool. up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, my husband and I, and my husband's best friend, were like, we were all working together in Pittsburgh. We were like, that job sounds cool. And my husband and I went up and interviewed and found apartments, and his best friend was like, <laughs> Sure, I'll go. And he like interviewed over the phone and we got him an apartment while we were up there. And we literally packed up all our stuff into one U-Haul truck, all three of our apartments into one U-Haul truck. We went up there and I hadn't been dating my husband that long. So I was like, I'm not living with you. So I got my own apartment. We got three apartments. We all moved our stuff off that truck into the three apartments. And, okay, yeah, that sounds started, a little chaotic. Yeah, and started working up in Saginaw, Michigan. <laughs> so Okay. It ended up being great because... We got up there. I mean, one of the reasons why we moved up there was because we were getting paid so much more and we had a lot of debt. Like I had a ton of debt coming out of anesthesia school. Um, You can't work when you're in anesthesia school. So you're living off loans Mm -hmm. and the program is expensive and I had a lot of debt. So we went up there and we worked. I mean, we took call. We were on the heart team. So we had to take call once a week and then like every eighth weekend. But then we would pick up overtime and we just worked, worked, worked. And uh-huh. we paid off our student loans. And then things got more serious between my husband and I. So then we started saving for a wedding and a down payment yeah. on a house and, you know, all the things that you do as you become an adult that I never did in my 20s. You know? Yeah. Okay. So when you're, okay, you moved, so you went to a so many different places. Yeah, I mean, you were working out of so many different places. When you're choosing all of those, um, I'm sure travel nurse was a little bit different. But like, what would did you have a, a specific way that you were looking at at all of the opportunities and and deciding what locations you were going to? No, I mean, when I lived in Charleston. I had done some international travel. I'd gone to Africa for four weeks. I'd gone to Europe for three weeks. Like, and I was like, well, now I've seen like so much of the rest of the world. I don't, I haven't even seen much of my country because uh-huh. when I grew up, I mean, my family did not have a lot of money. Like we didn't, like we didn't take big vacations. Uh-huh. And I mean, we had a tiny little house and one car and, you know, my, my parents shared a vehicle. Like we just didn't have a lot of money. So yeah. I didn't go all over the place <laughs> as a kid and I just met so many cool people mm-hmm. and just wanted to explore and learn and travel and experience things. And okay. I just was curious. Like you asked me, like, what do you like to study? I'm like, I like everything. You know, I'm kind of like mm-hmm. that in life. Like I'm just curious about yeah. anybody. I f- 
feel like I can pretty much sit down with yeah. anybody and have a conversation. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I just didn't know if there was like a certain thing that or things that you were particularly drawn. Like obviously skiing in Denver, but like I mean that was very planned out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out if there were other like. You moved to Michigan, and it's like, was there anything there that other than they just paid well? There was the job. Yeah. That was very practical. And then, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. we had friends up there from school, you know, so it wasn't like you were going up there and didn't know anybody. And yeah. the job, I had um, actually rotated up there in anesthesia school, and I'd spent a month up there um, doing clinical hours. Okay. Um, so I knew the hospital, and, like, I knew a lot of the staff just from being a student up there. And um, I really there they were wonderful and i it was a great experience how long were you how long were you guys up there 4 years okay okay so towards the end of that where where did where was next and what led to what was next um huh, it's actually a really sad story um there's a lot of there was a lot of politics at that hospital and okay the end result of that was our anesthesiologist group was pushed out the CRNAs were um, employed by the hospital, but the anesthesiologists were contracted by the hospital to provide their services, and they were wonderful. They were just a great group of um, providers and people. And long story short, they got pushed out. And then mm. it was a revolving door of locums, like this big private equity corporate you know, group mm -hmm. said, promised the hospital the world and that they could do it for less. And what they ended up doing was they couldn't hire anybody. And so they kept sending different locums. And so like every couple of weeks we had a different doctor and it was just stressful to constantly work with a different yeah. physician, you know, in the OR and you're supposed to be a team, but you don't know how to work as a team because you're not used to working together. Yeah. And so it just really changed the dynamics of that job. And we were just like, it's we've we've saved our money. It's this is a natural time to go. And so then we started interviewing. We really wanted to go down south. We had found a great job um, down in Greenville, South Carolina. Like I love South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And we went and interviewed there. And then when they presented us the offer and we were like going through all the fine details, they couldn't guarantee that my husband and I could have the same vacation. And we're like, huh. what? Like we actually like each other. Like, we want to go on vacation together. I mean, maybe that works for other. Yeah. And, and we were like, we've already worked at two other hospitals as a couple. You can call our bosses. Like us being married does not impact mm -hmm. us professionally in the OR. Like, because we're not even in the same OR. Like yeah. he's in one OR and I'm in another OR. I mean, occasionally we might give each other a break or something, yeah. but yeah. Okay. So we um, interviewed up in Portland and got a job offer there. And then we also interviewed at WVU. And um, so we ended up just kind of like interviewing a bunch of different places. My husband was like, Maine is too cold. <laughs> and after we got the offer, I was like, well, I'd rather you tell me that like before we get there. But I was pretty sad about that. Um it's all for the best. Anyways, we ended up in this area, and we're happy here. My husband is from Washington, so his okay. parents and, and um, extended family is here, and they're wonderful. So it's it's okay. ended up being great that we're close to Pittsburgh, here in Washington. Yeah. Everything's worked out. And This episode is brought to you by the City of Washington, Citywide Development Corporation. Uh, if you're a small business in Washington and you need another set of eyes on your situation or uh, you need help growing. You're not sure what's going on with the business. You can't figure out how to get out of the uh, the current struggles you're going through. Um, 
you're just looking for ways to become a little bit more efficient, um, anything else like that. Um, or if you don't know where to go next, you don't know who to find to fix whatever the problem is, reach out. Um, the, uh, WCDC is a free resource. Uh, we're here to help. The links are down below. Um, reach out. Like I said, it's a free resource. Now back to the episode. That's it's good. good. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, this is, this doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but the team aspect. So they're, they were, you're dealing with somebody new, like every couple weeks. Are you generally like, is it generally the same group of people that are all together on that? Cause I bet that like the chemistry there gets fantastic. I, I mean, this is like, I know basically nothing about any, anything medical. So that, I guess I didn't realize that, that, that it is kind of a team atmosphere. Oh, in, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and the team includes the people who come and clean the operating mm-hmm. room and stock it. And, um, you know, all the support people, like none of us are an individual, like working in unison. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is a, a group effort. And I just, I, I like being part of a team. Yeah. Um, And I like having that feeling and that camaraderie. And um, it's important to me to work with people who really want to give great care and are also kind people as well. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> so, that sounds way better than the alternative. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay, so you move, we'll say, yeah, I mean, you move here um, and start uh, again. So I just similar job. Um, just different hospital, new, new yeah. space. Yep. Um, okay. So at what point do you, um, had you already got, yeah, you had already started with yoga, but had you already become a, um, an instructor at that point? Mm-mm. Where are we at in, in no. the timeline? So, um, a couple years after we moved to this area, um, we had our son, and then, um, you know, like a lot of parents, you debate. We we were older parents. I was 36 when I had our son. And okay. um, you kind of debate. Being in the medical field, you like know every worst case scenario too. So I was like, I don't know if I want to push this and, uh-huh. you know, try to have another baby. Anyways, um, long story short, I ended up getting pregnant again and um, with our daughter. And um, – it, the pregnancy was going great. It was like better than my first pregnancy and I felt better and it was just wonderful. And um, I went to my 20-week ultrasound, routine ultrasound appointment. And uh, long story short, um, she was very sick and they didn't know how long she would live. And they said she might live to term, but we don't think that she'll survive. Um, she might die in utero. Um, you can choose. She definitely has a life-limiting um issue, but we're not sure what's going on. All of the genetic testing was negative. So there was nothing genetically wrong with her. They had no idea what was wrong with her, but she had really bad ascites. She had this big cystic hygroma around her neck that was like a fluid-filled sac wrapping around her neck like a 
tight scarf. Um, and uh, they said, we don't know what's wrong with her because none of the genetic stuff is coming back positive. They said, but, you know, she's not going to survive. So, you know, do you want to terminate the pregnancy? Do you want to continue? What do you want to do? And we just made the decision. It was a hard decision um, to just continue with the pregnancy and just see what happened. Um, but we also made it very clear that we wanted, um, if she did make it to term and, and was born, we wanted palliative care. We were going to do comfort care only. We were not going to do anything heroic for her. And, um, and then a couple weeks later, um, I felt less movement and I got in touch with my OB and said, you know, not feeling anything. They said, come in, get checked. And she didn't have a heartbeat. So as somebody who's like, like you said, you'd know, like you're thinking through all of these, like, you know, what can happen mm -hmm. when you find out that they don't know what's going on, how fresh, like that feels so difficult to, to deal with, especially since you have so much experience with it. Mm -hmm. It's really hard not knowing. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard. Like I can remember that last day, like pushing on my belly, like, please move. Like, please, like what's wrong with mm -hmm. you? Like I, it just, it's very helpless feeling. Um, you know, but I was a mess. I'm not going to lie. I was a complete wreck. Um, I had, as soon as we found out that she had a life limiting diagnosis, I started therapy. Um, and my therapist was incredible. And, um, I had like panic attacks just thinking about going back to work after maternity leave and the thought of like going back into the hospital where I had lost her, I would just start to cry just thinking about it. Like I was like, I can't, I can't even walk into the building. I can't even mm -hmm. like the thought of even looking at it was just, uh, I can't even describe it. And so I went to therapy on maternity leave and, um, ate a lot of junk food and drank a lot of wine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to just be very yeah. honest about it. You know, like, um, not all my co therapy was very therapeutic <laughs> and, um, my other coping mechanisms, not so therapeutic. Um, but <laughs> it was, it was my journey. And, um, I got to the point where I was ready to go back to work and work was incredible. Like, and my husband was working at the same job at the time, and they offered him off as well. Like, they were like, if you need to be on maternity leave mm -hmm. with Amy, that's fine. And he stayed home for a little while, um, but I was like, please, just go. And he's like, okay. And he went back before I did. And then I just asked um, that they not give me any pediatric patients. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't do OB at the time. The residents um, pretty much handled OB. Um, so I just said, please, no pediatric patients and please don't like put me in the gynae rooms with like dncs and stuff like that if like somebody has a fetal demise and that sort of thing but usually those patients weren't done on the main or anyway so they were super respectful of that um because i'd done quite a bit of pediatrics prior to our loss and my coworkers were just amazing like they they came and planted tulips and trees in our yard and like loaded a visa gift card with money for co-pays for therapy and any other incidentals like called sent letters like cards like they were just amazing people and were so much a part of my healing journey and the crazy thing was though that like even though I had all this support I had a therapist I had amazing family husband friends 
I felt really lonely because what I really wanted was to talk to other healthcare professionals who had lost to be like, well, how did you get back into the workplace? And when you got triggered at work and you found yourself in tears in the OR, what did you do? How did you handle that? And I couldn't find that anywhere. And so that kind of like sparked something a little bit, but it was just kind of in the back of my mind that I just couldn't, I, I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty good researcher, you know, and <laughs> Google was letting me down, you know? And so, and I got back to work and I was like, okay, well, you know, physically I can now move and mm. do activity. And I got back on my yoga mat and started doing, getting back into my meditation practice because I had a pretty good meditation practice and did some yoga, um, prior to the loss because I had taken um, a mindfulness best a mindfulness based stress reduction program um, through the wellness center but it it's pretty well known like internationally um, MBSR was started by John Kabat-Zinn um, in the late 70s and it was originally used for chronic pain patients and then they realized that these chronic pain patients got better but their pain hadn't changed it was just their relationship to the pain hmm. through mindfulness and um, MBSR expanded to cancer patients and um, trauma patients who had really bad injuries. And then it started seeping out into the nurses and the doctors and mm -hmm. all kinds of different populations. And um, in 2015, I was really stressed out and really burned out as a CRNA. And at one point I was like, I just can't even like be a CRNA anymore. And this offering came, popped up at the wellness center. And I was like, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. So I took the program and it was so good and so life-changing for me that I actually did it again the next year when it was offered again mm. and learned just as much, if not more, because I already had a meditation practice. And so I just got deeper into it and more into yoga. And then shortly after I completed MBSR the second time was when I got pregnant. And then, you know, uh -huh. a few months later, you know, lost yeah. Anna and, um, so getting back into my meditation practice and yoga was like the two places where I actually felt some peace and solace. And I was like, I can work through this here on my mat. Did you start that before you went back to work? No, it was after I went back to work. How, how, long, how long before you went back to work? And was there anything that, was it just the, the time and therapy and all of the things that finally made you realize that you could go back to work? Like how, yeah, what was that, that timeline to getting back to work and how were you like thinking through, like how did you finally get to a point where it was like, okay, I can go back to work? I, I never got to that point. I just knew I had to go back to work. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. maternity leave is six weeks. I mean, yeah. health, as healthcare providers, we are trained to go in and do our job. Mm -hmm. And we do our job under not perfect circumstances, but the patients need to be cared for. And you know, I knew I had six weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure, I mean, I know my boss would have given me more time, yeah. but there's never going to be a good time. At some yeah. point, you got to kind of rip the Band-Aid off and get back to it. And there was actually... Like when I would go to work, there was actually some peace because it was routine. Like mm -hmm. I was so focused on like, okay, I go in, I set up my OR, my normal routine. And that felt good to have that. Um, so once I actually got there, I felt okay. Um, but I did, I mean, I had some really bad triggers. I mean, breakdown, sobbing. One day the pediatric palliative care doctor actually came and talked to me. Like I met him in the... Um, chapel of the hospital 
sobbing. I couldn't stop sobbing. And it was because they had accidentally put a gastroschisis um, newborn baby into my OR because I was in the open urgent room. And I was like, I can't do babies. And I just lost it. Like I, and I just sobbed uncontrollably and he had given me his telephone number. Oh. <laughs> Wrong move. But, <laughs> and I text him and I was like, I can't stop crying. And he's like, well, I'm on my way into the hospital. Where do you want me to meet you? I'm like in the chapel. <laughs> and he met me and he just passed his shoes and listened. And one of my um, coworkers covered me in the OR until I could pull it. And you just know you have, mm -hmm. to, like when you know you have to figure it out, you do it. How long after you you got back to work did that happen? Oh, I don't know. It was probably just a couple months. I don't remember. It's yeah. a, I mean, a lot of this is just kind of a blur. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was another, like there was a trauma case that I took over one day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I relieved a CRNA. And um, he gave me a report. And I said, okay. It was a young woman in her 20s. Gave me a report. He was on his way. And my normal routine after I get a report for taking over a case is to go through the chart. I check all the labs. Mm -hmm. I check their history, you know, that sort of thing. And I saw that her HCG levels were sky high. And I'm like, he didn't tell me she was pregnant. Oh, my gosh. He gave her Versed. You don't give patients who are pregnant Versed. I was like, he gave her Versed. Oh, my goodness. And so then I was like, wait a minute. And I, so I kept going. She had just had an abortion. And so that I just lost it. I'm like... This, this woman didn't want her baby. And like, I want my baby. And like, I was, mm. so I started doing all my breathing exercises and stuff because at this point I had like gotten back into yoga and meditation and I was started doing all the stuff that I knew to do, but I realized that I wasn't focused on the patient. So I called my attending anesthesiologist and I just said, Hey, can you come in here, please? And I think most of the coworkers that I have know that if I call and say, will you come in? There's usually yeah. like a really good reason to come in. And he came right in and I explained to him, he said, just take whatever you need. I've got you covered. You're, you're fine. Just go. And I just went, and I went to actually went down to the chapel. I sat for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. I did some meditation. I pulled myself together, dried off my tears and I went back to the OR and I could focus. But, you know, so I went, I realized like mindfulness was like my key through getting through mm -hmm. the grief. And I was like, I just need to learn more about this. So I enrolled in a, in a local, um, 200 hour yoga teacher training for my own personal growth uh -huh. and well being. And then I met Shauna who had also had losses and we started pause to remember after yoga teacher training. And it, we did it as like an evening workshop in brick and mortar yoga studios in like Pittsburgh area. And, our biggest issue was marketing. We didn't have any marketing. And so the word wasn't getting out. Mm -hmm. And so the people who came gave us good feedback, but it just wasn't the numbers we wanted. Well, and that's such a, which this is good, but also can be difficult, is that it's such a, um, not a small group, like the number is large, but it's a very specific group of people that you're helping. Um, so if you aren't getting the word out well, it's like, you're not targeting me. Right. You're not, like, there's a lot of, there's way more that you're not, that that you're not helping. But the people that you are helping, there's nobody. Okay, so, okay. So had you, before that, like, okay, so you know where this idea stems from. Um, How did you... 
Okay, so you have the training, you have all of your training, you have all of the things that you're you're putting together. Was there any difficulty in start other than getting the word out? Like getting the word out's the difficult, the get difficult part. Was there anything else that you guys ran into when you were starting this that no, there was a challenge? No, not really. I mean, it's just it was the marketing. I mean, putting together the workshop was the easy part. Um, and then I think after doing it, you know, a number of times, we were a little bit frustrated. Like I built a little website. And um, so we had like a place to mm -hmm. actually land kind mm -hmm. of. Um, but then I got offered this opportunity to start a ketamine clinic. And I got involved with that. And that took up way more of my time than I anticipated um, in terms of like teaching yoga. Because mm -hmm. after I finished yoga teacher training, like I never planned to be a teacher. But then I was like, this is really cool. I really <laughs> enjoy this. And so I started teaching in some local studios. And I was like, How this frequently is... were you teaching? Um, uh, it depended on the time, anywhere between one and three classes a week. Right before the pandemic, I was teaching – four classes a week. Um, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, this opportunity for the ketamine clinic came up and, but the spark for being like an entrepreneur kind of started with like pause to remember and uh -huh. like having something to call your own and to feel like you're doing something positive. And I really love that idea of having my own business. And I had started a little LLC for the yoga stuff because mm -hmm. I was an independent contractor. So I had an LLC for that. And so then I got involved with starting this ketamine clinic. And so that's how Bridge Anesthesia started and um, researched that. I mean, took me a few months to figure that all out and then um, figured out how to set up the clinic and get the drugs and all that stuff and then start seeing patients. And it was really an awesome experience but from a business standpoint, it wasn't um, it wasn't the fit that I thought it was going to be. And um, I was traveling quite a distance to get to the ketamine clinic. And um, the amount of time that I was putting into it based on what I was getting out of it. And there was a lot of frustrating things about the business arrangement that really mm -hmm. wasn't working um, that I was like – this is not a long-term thing for me. And so about a year after I agreed to do it, I ex I passed it off to another CRNA. And I don't regret that for a second. Like I learned so much from that experience. And I think ketamine has a lot of beneficial effects for people who are really struggling mm -hmm. with their mental health. Um, but that was not going to – sometimes you just have to try things. Yeah. Like, I think anybody who's starting a business, you don't know until you try. Yeah. So like try it on for size. Give it a year. See see where it goes. And then if it's not the right fit for you, it's okay to say, I'm sorry, this yeah. isn't going to work. And then explain that. I mean, I had a long transition period so that I, you know, didn't leave the, the yeah. psychiatrist high and dry um, and said, you know, this is what I'm willing to do to bridge yeah. the transition and, you know. And that, and that was fine. And to this day, even knowing where the ketamine clinic has gone, I still don't regret stepping away from that. When, when that opportunity came to you, were you, were you looking to, to do anything different or was it just something that kind of came about and I was like, oh, this may be a good opportunity? Um, he approached me 
And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, look at my whole life. I mean, everything. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Let's try it. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't any different than anything else I had done. Um, and then I was in the OR work, you know, working as a CRNA, teaching yoga and the pandemic hit. And then I started like getting more curious about moving Pause to Remember online. I had a friend who was very successful with um, some of his businesses. He was really good at Facebook marketing, mm -hmm. like Facebook ads and stuff. And so he started a class for people like me who didn't know anything. So I learned how to build websites, how to do email automations, mm -hmm. um, how to play around with Facebook ads, um, some of that stuff. I knew nothing about any of this. So anybody who is trying to start a business, you can learn it. Like I am a healthcare professional. I am not a tech person. And if I can learn it, you can learn it. <laughs> you know, like Yeah. I think the biggest, there are enough resources available now that like, as long as you I feel like the most difficult part is just figuring out what you need to learn. Like, it's easy. Once you know those things, like, okay, I have this list of things, a website and Facebook and Instagram and all these things that need to be done. Once I know what needs to be done, the research is easy. Like, there are so many places you can go to learn all of those things, but it can kind of be overwhelming to to start. Yeah. Because you don't really know what all they're at. Like, you don't know what all you need to know. So that I think is the most, that's the most difficult part in my opinion. Um, okay. So you find, you figure, you're starting to figure all those things out. Um, and you're going to take this just online. Did you know, like, what did that look like? What was that going to look like for you? In terms of where I wanted to go with it? Yeah. So when I started it, I was just like, oh, pause to remember for, you know, grieving mothers after pregnancy and infant loss. And I didn't have, like, I didn't niche it down more than that. And um, it was, it was a good learning experience. Like COVID, I, I'm not going to lie. Like it was a, one of the most stressful times in my career. Like I, there were days I would drive to work crying because we didn't know. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm in people's airways. Like I'm mm -hmm. one of the people that puts the breathing tubes in. Like, yeah. you know, like, I had never experienced anything like that in my career. And I'm not going to lie, trying to learn how to move a business online while you're in the midst of that and trying to homeschool your kid, like, <laughs> was not a good combination for That's success. That's a lot. That is a and lot. And I did That's not succeed in the online world at all. <laughs> and, but I learned so many valuable tools. And so what I would say to anybody who is thinking about starting a business, from my experience, is... If you can carve out a set amount of time each week to work on it, that's that's what I would recommend. And then if you don't know where to start, I would say focus on just a couple of things. A very simple um, website, homepage, an about page, and a way to get people to subscribe to an email list mm -hmm. and build your email list. And then once you have those things in place, then start working on your social media and like create a lead magnet. So like my lead magnets are um, a virtual support group that meets once a month, mm -hmm. a Facebook group. Um, because over time, I actually worked with a coach at the beginning um, of 2022 and that's when I realized like my business isn't coming together and I'm not feeling excited about it because I'm not marketing and trying to serve to the right people. Mm -hmm. And the people that I wanted to support the most were healthcare providers 
who are grieving after pregnancy and infant loss because that's who I was. And that was, I needed that community support and couldn't find it. And I'm like, well, then there's other people out there that probably can't find it either. And so I'm like, I kind of, with working with this coach, had like an aha moment. And she's like, okay, how do you want to serve? And so like from there came the support group and the Mm -hmm. Facebook group and stuff. And it's just for healthcare providers. So as a provider, I can't go into a general Facebook group and be like, you know, I can't, I don't want to go to work and put an epidural in somebody who's laboring to a bunch of people who uh-huh. are like, well, that's us, you know, like, yeah. or, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. or I could see how that would be a little bit of a problem. If you're an obstetrician and you go into a general Facebook group and you have all <laughs> these mothers, it's the doctor's fault. My baby died. And you are a doctor. It's really hard for you to share what your grieving journey is. You need to yeah. be with other healthcare professionals who are like, we get it. We get it. Like I had one um, CRNA on my podcast and she talked about going back to work after her daughter passed. And she's like, my call room, the head of my call room um, abutted the the delivery room where I had my daughter. And she mm. talked about how like one of her first nights back on call and going into that call room and knowing that on the other side of the wall was where she had her daughter. It just left her a, a mess you know? And those are the things like that's the, I'm trying to create this space for healthcare providers who just went through a really stressful event with COVID. And now it's almost even more stressful now than COVID because we're so short staffed. Mm -hmm. And then you put like, you have a miscarriage or you have a stillbirth or you, you take your baby home with a, a life limiting diagnosis and they die a few days later at home. Like, you need people to like wrap themselves around you and say, you're not the only one scared to go back to work and be triggered by what you do as a professional. Yeah, that as I was like reading through everything today, like <laughs> the idea that you're normally those people that are like kind of helping people through this thing. And then it's like, well, but what, who's here to help you? <laughs> like, hey, but but what about me? Like, yeah. what? Yeah, that's, um, well, fortunately, fortunately, you're now doing that. Like, you can now, you and your group and, and all of the things that you're offering, it's like, that's that's an avenue for for those people. Um, yeah, that is, that's difficult. So what, so you've got your, your groups, you've got how, okay, so... You're moving online other than like once you figure everything out, mm-hmm. figure it all out. Not that it's in it's a an static. evolving yeah. process. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Figure it out initially. Um, how did you what was the approach to like growing those things? Like how were you thinking through what those groups were going to look like? And um, yeah, like wa- walk me through that like overall. Like how were you thinking about that? So um, I have pretty much just followed the lead of people that I'm talking to. And okay. um, instead of saying, this is what this group is going to look like, I spent this last year just literally saying, I'll call you. Like if somebody says, you know, somehow gets put in touch with mm-hmm. me, I'll just call them and have a conversation or I'll text with them or, me- you know, through messenger or whatever. But I've actually had a lot of really amazing phone com- conversations with providers who are, I, one, had to make the decision to um, terminate 
for medical reasons. Um, another was a physician that did OB, um, you know, like, and kind of go on this like listening journey to figure out what it is that people needed. Because just because I need something or needed something during yeah. our loss and um, doesn't mean that that's the right fit. Because the thing about grieving is there is every person's journey through grief is unique. So what worked for me and was helpful to me is not necessarily going to be helpful to the next person. Mm -hmm. And I know I personally didn't want to go to a grief support group. And I think a lot of it was because I was looking for a grief support group with other medical providers because my issue was going back to work and I couldn't go to a, just a general grief support group. Um, you know, so everybody has different ways of doing things and I want to provide my, myself, um, more on a one-on-one basis for those people who want somebody who like kind of can be with them for a while. Mm -hmm. So I've created um, a course called Mindful Prescription and it's a four-week mindfulness-based course. And it includes a lot of the concepts from MBSR that I learned and I have practiced Mm -hmm. and I use through my grief journey, as well as a lot of the things that I learned in my yoga teacher training. I went to New York City and studied with Jillian Pransky for restorative yoga. A lot of the things that I learned with her, I've incorporated. Um, And then I actually got a certification for yoga for cancer. And there's some things from that that, you know, Mm -hmm. I've learned and incorporated to create an opportunity for providers to have somebody to meditate with. So, you know, my familiar voice is their meditation guide and, yeah. you know, some yoga and, and whatnot in a very concise format because healthcare providers don't have a whole lot of time for self-care. Mm-hmm. So like each day is like 15 to 30 minutes. Okay. Um, yeah, that seem, I mean, that's so, okay. So does that give you, okay. So you've got that is is the one-on-one time with you included? Like, is that a piece of that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that's, as you're talking, it's like, yeah, everybody's th- everybody's way through that is different. Yeah. So a group setting is helpful. One-on-one is probably better, I would imagine. Well, I mean, I think... It could be. I think you can look at it both ways because um, I think when you're in the group setting, like doing it as a group and meeting as a group, um, you can learn from other people's experiences and it's That's also true. helpful to know that you are not the only person feeling that way. Yeah. I've talked to quite a few providers who wanted to either change jobs or they wanted to change careers. Like I know one provider, she start she got her training in aesthetics and so now she does Botox and fillers and all this other stuff. She started her own little business <laughs> um after her loss because she just needed like she needed another outlet outside of her regular Yeah. Um, CRNA job, you know, and it's not uncommon. So like when you hear other providers say, and I kind of was that way too. I mean, when I had the opportunity to do the ketamine clinic, I was like, oh yeah, it's something different. Like mm-hmm. that was part of my grieving, like just stepping away from the hospital, yeah. you know, and having a different op- opportunity professionally. And so to hear other people say, oh yeah, I wanted to change jobs or I wanted to switch to a different hospital or whatever. There's some value in hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, have there been with that transition online, have there been any like significant hurdles with that other than learning how to do it at the beginning? Yeah. Like once you've got a hurdle because I keep doing different things. Like, I mean, like, um, 
right now I'm trying to figure out increasing engagement in the Facebook group. Like, mm-hmm. I've never run a Facebook group. <laughs> and quite frankly, the only reason now why I have Facebook is for this group. Uh-huh. And then there's another group <laughs> that I'm involved with um, professionally. And then a third one, um, Kajabi. Mm-hmm. So Pause to Remember is hosted on Kajabi. And so for anybody who's new out there, I definitely recommend this platform because- it's pretty they, solid. Yeah. And they have really- really good tutorials to take you through each step of the way. Um, so if you're a newbie and it seems expensive when you look at the month, it's like $119 a month, mm-hmm. but it includes email, um, course hosting. I host my podcast on it, um, blog. You can support communities on it. Like there's so many things you can do yeah. with that $119 a month that yeah. I think it's a really good value and their customer support has been solid for me. Yeah, I think a a good thing to keep in mind when you're selecting those platforms cuz I've seen a lot of good reviews on those. Mm-hmm. The problem is when people are getting something like that and they don't actually need all of those things or really any Definitely. of those things. Definitely. And then you're spending 120 bucks a month for something that you could be getting for 30 bucks a month. Oh, I I agree. Something that's super important when you're trying to figure out where you're going to live online is just figure out all of your, like your wish list and then like, okay, here's this giant list of things that I want to be able to do. Here are the things that are necessary and maybe here are the things that I want to grow into. And then just figure out what platform works best for you because I've seen so many good things about Kajabi and also seen people that jump into it way too early. Oh, yes. They're like, oh, I'm just trying to do this one thing that I could have been paying 20 bucks a month yeah. for. Okay. Yeah, if you just need a little website, try Squarespace. And yeah. and if you think you're uh, another one, like my amypelkey.com is on Show It, mm-hmm. and it has a lot more um, design functions that mm-hmm. you can, like, Make it your own, basically. Yeah. Um, but it's got better SEO in terms of the blog. Like if you if I add a yeah. blog onto it, um, because it's got a WordPress based blog to it. So and I've built on um Squarespace as well. I I found that to be very user friendly mm-hmm. and like from a cost. Yeah. There's a there's a ton of there's a ton of those platforms. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think starting with like what do you want, what are you trying to do? Get all those things down. Then yes. figure out what you maybe want to grow into and maybe what that timeline looks like. Because maybe you are ready for the 120 bucks a month immediately. Maybe not. Yeah. But, okay, so figuring out those platforms, that can be difficult. That can definitely be difficult. Yeah, and just things like the podcast. Like, I don't know anything about starting <laughs> a podcast. I didn't even know how to, like... I had gotten on Zoom, but I didn't even know how to like set up a Zoom meeting to uh-huh. like record with somebody and like get a microphone and you know like yeah. so I like Google pretty much everything and YouTube it you know and yeah. like I figure it out so yeah. you know I just figure out one thing at a time like the next thing I'm working through now is figuring out how to get the course approved for continuing education credits oh. so that people can use their um, education money to pay for working with me huh yeah. What's that process like? Oh, my gosh. So every single um, branch of medicine. So like the doctors have their own governing body. The CRNAs have theirs. The NP have theirs. The PA. And I have to apply to every single different group. So I'm starting with the Mm. CRNAs first. And they sent me a 10-page PDF of like all the criteria and what I needed to do. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, okay, 
I've I've built a website. I've built a course. I can do this. Yeah. Too. So now, like, <laughs> I'm I've got the course. Now I'm like adding stuff into it, like more research into it, so that it can. And I have to put objectives. And mm-hmm. then for every objective, I have to have five questions and I have to have a test and they have to get 80% on the test. Mm. And like, so like, and now I'm doing that. So, I mean, somebody can come do the course and work with me and not get CEUs, yeah. but they'd have to pay out of their own pocket. Yeah, A lot of healthcare providers would really love it if the hospital paid for it. So yeah. I'm trying to work through that. So it's probably going to, okay. it's going to take me a little while because pulling all the research and then putting together the material yeah. that will be approved for um, the aa and and then, but I think once I get through one, it'll keep getting easier so that I yeah. can do the NPs and yeah. the PAs and the physicians and, and keep going through it. Um, so it's going to take me time. And, you know, I'm still homeschooling our son and still trying to work in the OR and like, you know, like <laughs> keeping the balls in the air, making dinner and yeah. you know, doing my wifely duties, you know, like, you know, because and, and at the end of the day, I think one of the great things about having your own business is you can prioritize what's most important to you. Mm-hmm. And my family right now, I'm in the season of motherhood. I'm so happy that I have more time at home. Um, we were talking earlier about podcasting. I was like, yeah, I go into the, the basement of the library to their, you know, studio down there to record. And, you know, if it's quiet at home, I've fixed the homeschooling room up to record <laughs> in there. And like, you know, you yeah. just make it work. Uh-huh. And I think one of the things that like slowed me down the most is like perfectionism. And I, I'm sure a little bit of that is anxiety. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what I'm doing. Is this going to be good enough? Like, uh-huh. that's so normal. So I just want to Tell anybody who's listening to this, like, it's normal to be like, I don't know what I'm doing and how's this going to land and are people going to like it? And like, definitely, definitely been down that road many a times. Yeah, I still, when I take a break from post, not a break, I say it's a break like I choose to do it, but I just get lazy and stop posting like clips and stuff. And then when I become unlazy and start trying to post clips again, it's like, oh, I don't I don't actually like any of this that I'm doing now. So I'm not going to post anything. And then it's like, just post it like it's all fine. It's yeah. all fine. It's just make progress. That's it. Like, well, and you really don't know, like when you put something out into the world, it might be exactly what somebody needs mm-hmm. to hear or see or believe or feel or, you know, learn. So just. Everybody is unique. And to anybody listening to this, you have so much to put out into the world. So just go and do it and see where it takes you. You never know until you try. Yeah. Yeah, that is, um, well, that's kind of perfect because we're hitting right about the uh, the time that um, you had to get out of here. So, um, okay. And that's kind of a perfect way to end anyways. Um, okay. Anything, anything else before we, before we leave? That we haven't hit. Um, no, I mean, if you are in an online business person and you want to know some of the things that have helped me in terms of writing the website um, copy, uh, Donald Miller's uh, Building a Story Brand, reading that book has made everything else easier for me in terms of what to actually put on the website. Um, and then Amy Porterfield, um, I'm actually doing a training of hers about building an email list and her stuff is so organized and makes so much sense. And I'm really glad I invested in this course with her, um, to learn how to, you know, build my email list and so that I can serve more. Mm -hmm. And a lot of moms when they're grieving, don't want to be on social media because it's triggering. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having an email list is really important to me so that they don't have to be on social media to find out anything that's going on and pause to remember. Gotcha. That's okay. That's good to know. Um, 
Okay. Where can all of the humans of planet Earth find all of your things? Um, so, you know, you can go to pauseremember.org. Um, you can find me um, on LinkedIn. Um, but f- finding me on the website or um, Instagram at pause to remember okay. is probably the easiest. And I can send you links to everything and you can put it in the oh, show, yeah, show notes. All, all yeah. down below. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, this was good. Um, I think this will be helpful and, um, thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions for other guests or topics you would like to see covered, let me know. Um, if, uh, if you could share this or like it or comment or do all the things that's always helpful. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Um, have a wonderful week and I will see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.